Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into deep detail on every single wrestling event that's ever taken place inside of Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each time. This time, it's 2015, and joining me once again from the Wrestling Amakase podcast, John Carroll's here. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I am doing tremendously. Thank you very much for, for asking. And um, lots has gone. A whole decade has passed since last we talked, John. Uh, yeah. A little bit more than that, right? It was 2004, I believe, and now 2015. Yeah. So uh, lots has gone on. We've, we've both aged tremendously. Um, <laughs> you know, I, in the intervening years, I, I bought a house. I got married. I had a child. Everything, everything's been happening in the last 11 weeks for me. Um, but uh, it, yeah, what, what happened in, in the in the spectrum? Keep us up with with John Carroll between the years of 2004 and 2015. Wow. Um, so I probably moved like six times or something. And I'm trying to think of how many times I must have moved. I mean, I went probably New Jersey to Austin, back to New Jersey, to New York, to Montreal back to new jersey and then i think 20 wrestling in 2015 i would have just moved to where i live now uh in new york again like on the border of bronx and queens so yeah i would have moved there like october 2014 so i'm just settling into the the same place where i live now basically it so oh right and uh in the year 2015 of course um the the cultural phenomenal phenomenal phenomenon uh that that was lion's pride the turbulent history of new japan pro wrestling was was released in 2015 um the the after effects was still being felt right now um i wonder what happened to whoever wrote wrote that book um and akb 48 john continues to dominate the charts and uh this this time the, the top four singles, all from AKB48, the, the top one being Bokutachiwa uh, Tatakawanai. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's no escape. <laughs> There, there, what year what year is the, the one that like takes over that's like 2017 right the one that they when they come up with their own the nogazaki or nogazaka 46 or whatever oh that, like, yeah but i think i think like um yeah that there is still nogazaka 46 is is in the 2015 charts this is yeah. this is all right in front of me and now we're, we're finally having a thrilling time where we can actually talk about japanese pop because it seems uh you know something about it um, <laughs> a little bit but yeah yeah the 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 every year i look it up the the top 200 oricon rankings it's akb48 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 ske48 nogizaka 46 from six to eight and then uh arashi from then on down i so, know eventually um, from i know eventually nogizaka like surpasses them because you can i know enough like um akb I guess fanboys would be the best way to put it. And they always they start they always grumble about Nogizaka getting more attention now. So I assume at some point they beat them, but I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it has to be the last few years. Right. right. That's, that's right. basically my where my Japanese pop knowledge comes from. Wow. Good grief. So um yes, 2015, Wrestle Kingdom 9, which is kind of like um at the time, it felt like a very significant event, and like even historically, it's a, it's a very significant event. Um, you know, partly because I think the 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 sheer quality of it, but also the fact that it was much more visible um, than at, at any point uh, before, because there was this wonderful thing called uh, New Japan World, which had launched uh, the the prior December, um, all in services of of Wrestle Kingdom Nine, and also um, pay per view. Uh, thanks to our, our good buddy Jeff Jarrett, yeah. <laughs> he sort of popped up, and uh, Global Force Wrestling presented 
Wrestle Kingdom Nine with with Jim Ross and Jim Ross and Matt Stryker, I believe it was, right? Uh, on on commentary. So this is the this is the first time on doing these podcasts where um, you know a relevant question is is which version of this show did you watch mm -hmm. at the time, and uh, you know which version of the show did you did you watch when when you were rewatching the the matches we're going to talk about. So at the time I watched both. I mean that's the kind mm. of nerd I was, I guess, and I guess still am. But I ordered the pay per view and then I I rewatched pretty much all the key matches afterwards in Japanese. Um, when I you know the pay per view to me was such a it was like a more of a curiosity thing than anything. It's like oh Jim Ross calling New Japan, which but um, as far as like the what I watched this time. I mean, I don't, I don't even. I'm not sure if the Jim Ross stuff is the Jim Ross stuff on New Japan World. Yeah, it, it's not. Okay. No, because yeah, it, it's it was of course it was like Global Force Wrestling that that, that put it all together. So yeah, yeah, I think the the only Jim Ross you you get on New Japan World is is like the access specials. Yeah. yeah. So then when I because when I searched for it on New Japan World, I did watch the you know what was on there, which is the Japanese. I used to have, I think, a. <laughs> a less than legal copy of the um of the american one because i definitely um cut up one of these matches to show it at my i do like panels at anime cons for japanese pro wrestling so i i definitely showed the jim ross call of nakamura ibushi at my panels like this entire year so you know, I definitely had something on my computer at one point, but I didn't think to look and see if it's still there. So I just ended up watching New Japan World. There you go. There you go. What was um if you, you think back to you know, because like now we're we're getting towards the end of this this journey through the Tokyo Dome and it's it's much easier to to ask people like what do you remember at the time? You know, it's it's less sort of through the mists of time and we're like, Oh yeah, I remember it like it was not not quite yesterday, but like but four years ago um but uh yeah do you remember anything of the the sort of build going into this match and and what in particular you were looking forward to before before the show yeah i'm i mean this is i mean one of the reasons why i volunteered to do this is this is almost like i think the peak of my fandom with the current new japan i mean obviously i still watch all the shows but like as far as the era that i most enjoyed it probably is these like 20 there's like 20 it's like 2013 through like 2015 period. And I just remember being, you know, very, very hyped for almost everything on this card. And especially obviously the double main event. But um, you know, I get I guess we'll talk about it when we get to Tanahashi Okada, but this is um for people who, you know, came up came up with Okada Naito this year and being completely stunned with that result. I mean, this was like the original stunner as far as <laughs> a Tokyo Joe main event result that just you know, I remember following along on Twitter and people's just their jaws being on the floor at Tanahashi mm. Wedding, which is not something anybody expected. But yeah, I remember everybody treating this like it was going to be Okada's coronation going in. Like that's how everybody kind of, you know, that was kind of the feeling going into this. Um, I remember people being very excited for Nakamura Ibushi, which ended up being, um, you know, more than justified. But yeah, I just remember everybody being very into almost all of this. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I, incredibly high hype levels, sort of a, across the board. Anyway, um, let's go through our our choices, uh, I guess, chronologically here. So we're we're going to start with Minoru Suzuki versus Kazushi Sakuraba um, here in a uh, not quite not quite U UWF rules because uh, you know the, it was a little bit different, and um, you know there there was questions in the air of, of can we say that it's uwf rules um so like instead this this was the uh, absolute decision rules which was um only no pins no no count outs on the floor it, it was submission um or referee stoppage between sakuraba and suzuki um so suzuki at this point um had been with suzuki gun for what suzuki gun was 2011 so we're, we're getting towards four years of suzuki gun um and sakuraba had come back in the summer of, of 2012 um so you know reasonably fa fairly comparable um those two here but suzuki was suzuki had a pretty pretty poor 
2014 um you're really the last year and a half i think from from mid 2013 to the end of, of 2014 suzuki was was kind of nowhere um so here minori suzuki with with something a lot more interesting in sakuraba what were your thoughts on on sakuraba at, at this time and, and his sort of comeback run his last run with with new japan i mean i really loved it and that's um it was what i really you know it's the kind of stuff i really enjoy and like that's always been the kind of thing that I've been really into, is what he and Shibata brought to New Japan. I think it's actually um, very much like if I if I was gonna pinpoint something missing from current New Japan, it's that kind of style, honestly. And you know, I just I, it was it just felt like such an um, outside invasion angle for a while, which I always enjoy. And you know, I, and then they kind of like um, re. You know, re, like once they kind of reestablish themselves on the roster, I always saw him in his like, is he in chaos? Is he not in chaos? Because he was never like listed, I don't think, mm. on the website in chaos. But like, he would just always team with them for a while, and I thought that always thought that was a good spot for him. So I don't know, it just gave chaos like another guy that I was interested in, and it was cool having him around. But yeah, I was I was really into it. Is a, is a short answer. Yeah, yeah. I think like Sakuraba being like always with Chaos and never listed, it, it was mainly because I think Sakuraba was just Toriyana's drinking buddy, you know, <laughs> and and that sort of played itself out. And probably you know, that's that's part of the thing that, that led to this thing with Suzuki, because if you recall, Suzuki was an, in an interminable feud with Toriyano um at this point in time and that's basically all he had done you know as i said for the last year and a half it was like don taku 2013 which was uh the last event that they were sort of prominent and where you had like KES still going for the tag titles and then like it was shelton benjamin had just come in and was challenging for the intercontinental title and then suzuki was um challenging okada for for the iwgp title and they lose all those matches and then Basically, from there on, it's Suzuki with Yano, or it's Suzuki and someone and someone against Yano and someone and someone. And that that was basically everything Minoru Suzuki was was doing for a, a year and a half. And so this this was the point, uh, literally the, the day before Minoru Suzuki and and Suzuki can set sail for for Noah. Um, yeah, exactly, was, exactly a yeah. month before. Which yeah. Which is an interesting run. <laughs> I don't know. Did you did you watch Noah during that whole period or no? Um. Yeah, I, I watched a lot of the the Noah stuff at the time, and it it was sort of yeah. I mean, it it started off being very ex exciting, you yeah. know, and and it sort of tapered off, um, you know, towards the end because they were because the the whole deal was that they they were so dominant um that it kind of overshadowed everything on that show and but i mean when you look at suzuki gun now you know in the in the the shape that they're in now with with they're kind of a lot more prominent then yeah. it was it was the best thing for them i think as, as a stable because i really dig you know where where most of those if not all of those members are now you know and if anything um you know, people like KES, like David Boy Smith and, and Lance Archer are, are being underused. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, yeah, I think, they're, I, I think, think they're a great they're a great unit in Japan now. They're my, probably my second favorite. Mm, so I absolutely, think, yeah. yeah they they bring a lot to the shows that like I think was missing when they were gone. So um, yeah, and I think like really though, it, it was probably this this period of defocusing was. I mean, it it started at the same time the Bullet Club was formed. You know, and I think like there there was this thing of like they had to give Bullet Club its, its space and it, and its run. So, you know, Suzuki was a kind of an unfortunate casualty in that right. regard. Um, yeah, but you, but you did get this this match with Sakuraba, which was, I mean, it was cool from the outside. You had the different presentation with Suzuki in, in the white and the and the, the blonde hair, you know, and, and everything down to the, the handshake at the end with the UWF theme, which was amazing. You know that that was that was awesome to hear uh, live. Unfortunately, didn't get that on the New Japan World feed. So I think anybody who was who was watching like um, you know the the New Japan World uh, live feed was let slightly bemused by the the, the kind of cool dramatic uh, fighting music that was happening at the end, but but not the UWF theme. Um, uh, as Suzuki and Sakuraba embraced. I really enjoyed the crowd. Just like first of all, the the Japanese announcers when Suzuki comes out and is white um gear 
you know, my Japanese isn't that great, but I could still make out how, like, they were just losing their crap over him in his white gear, just screaming, like, the word white repeatedly. <laughs> it's pretty, it pretty funny. And then when he took off his, like, he had, like, a towel on his head or something, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. When he took it off, when he climbed the turnbuckle and showed that, like, white mohawk, the crowd just, like, lost, like, completely lost it for that, too. So yeah. they were very into the white gear here. Um, yes. But yeah, that, that was my big pre-match takeaway. But, yeah, the match itself was just, like, you know, I don't know. This was awesome. I love, This is exactly the kind of stuff I like. You know, all the all the grappling. Um, Sakuraba working over his arm and Suzuki basically showing that even a one-armed Minoru Suzuki is still very frightening. Um, mm. I just liked him do it, going through all of his offense, even which is with the one arm, which I thought was uh, was interesting. And yeah, I think what's interesting for me, especially watching it back, is like here's Minoru Suzuki, the sympathetic baby-faced <laughs> Minoru Suzuki, yeah. you know, where it's like uh, he gets sort of worked over on the on the ramp, and like Sakuraba puts it puts that long sort of the double rest lock on on the ramp there, which which is the one thing that that kind of I don't know that that sort of opened up some debate over you know whether that sort of detracted from from the match in the end but like suzuki gets in like sakurab is kicking away at that arm and like suzuki is like firing up you know and it's so strange yeah. to see like that this sympathetic minori suzuki it's a very very different um you know a complete sort of almost reversal of, of character with with suzuki but that's um you know what i love about minori suzuki is like this absolute evil you know especially since 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 he's come back like this um this guy is so evil and and he's so mercenary and and like his his take on it is like of, of course like I'm, I'm i'm an evil mercenary you know that's that's kind of the point of what what professional wrestling is to him you know but when you get like the sight of him like he has a very defined code of honor within himself as a character and like so when that comes out it's a really like cool thing to see you know that yeah. like the um you know wrestle kingdom in 2018 where taichi sort of leads him away after after the match with goto is like you don't need to shave your hair and like he sort of shakes taichi off and, and walks back to the ring and, and cuts his own hair off you know that's really cool or like um you know with a lot of the stuff with uh ishii like you had the the great match of power struggle with suzuki and ishii and like you know ishii suzuki refusing um you know any help and like he's gonna walk to the back on his own and stuff you know like he is um the the sort of pridefulness of Minoru Suzuki is is or it's like really cool when it comes out and it, it comes out in this match I think. Yeah, it is really interesting and it's almost like they let him um, since his New Japan run was ending for a while anyway. It was like he got to go out um, in a more heroic fashion, and then obviously a month later he'd be in Noah anyway. So didn't yeah. need to keep the heat on him as a heel. But but yeah, this was a this was a really fun match. I like the end of it too. It just. It almost felt like it came out of nowhere, but I think that really works for this type of match. Like he just mm. wins a slap battle, and then he just like chokes him out, and that's it. So I don't know. Yeah. I like this. I like this a lot. And just I remember, I remember liking it at the time, and then watching it back, um, it was probably even better than I remembered. So yeah, yeah, and its position in the on the card it was was great. It's it's sort of you know that there was a few points in the show where it's like okay there's there's a gear change and, and we're, we're stepping up and you know i think in general like on the last show with with juan we talked about that being um difficult in terms of pacing because like in the the 2014 show was uh i don't know if you remember there, there was just so many really really long entrances and yeah. a lot of sort of grandeur and and it was a pain with pacing at the time because you know i, I was there live with with wh park and, and wh had to leave before the show was done like during the main event um you know because the, the show was so long that they got past like 10 at night and you know he had to get home or whatever um whereas there were a lot of concerns i remember going into the show of oh well what are they going to do with the pay-per-view window or whatever and um i think part of that added up to this this really sort of well-paced very tightly um run show that the just moves at, at such a clip and like you know it's so easy to to 
to watch it was so easy to watch and so easy to rewatch. you know I now think. see see when i i definitely remember people grumbling about this at the time because i guess that's what the internet does but like i definitely remember people being like um you know saying they missed all the grandeur of the previous year and were like mad at jeff jarrett <laughs> for making them cut all these whack all these well like, you know there was it this was something that the one had said like at at the time because um you know especially with this this idea of okay we're we're introducing fans on pay-per-view that are seeing this product for the first time and like so having kind of big grandiose entrances is is a way to really sort of introduce those characters like it does serve a purpose i think yeah um but yeah, I mean, honestly, me as an individual, especially if I'm watching something back, I will always skip through entrances, you know. Like, mm. I, I'm the sort of one, you know, I, I don't know why they put entrances in, in video games. Can't <laughs> like, turn it off and get rid of it? Uh, let's get to where we're going kind of thing. That's just uh, sort of my personal taste as, as a viewer. And I don't think, like, I don't think there was anything in Ring that that suffered. You know, I, I think mm. like it, it was, and even I think presentationally, when it once it got to like the the main events only with with a guy like Shinsuke, you know, which we'll touch on later, like he had a, a super cool entrance anyway. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no complaints. I feel like uh, they they still, even though they were never on paper again, I feel like they did go closer to the pacing of this show than mm. the the pre twenty fifteen pacing. But I don't know. Yeah. I have to go back and look at the show lengths to figure that out. But um. I don't know. I'm just. I'm very used to like. I I watch a lot of Japanese wrestling, and I, I don't really mind the the super long big show. Like obviously DDT does it twice a year with like these six and a half hour shows, and I know some people really hate that. But I'm just like sit down my entire day on a Sunday and just <laughs> watch DDT, and I'm totally fine with it. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's there's people for WrestleMania as well. You know, where it's yeah. like I ain't gonna say I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna make a big sort of party spread, and we're we're gonna make a day of it. You know, and I think like that's that's probably their goal as well. Hey, we're making a Super Bowl of of wrestling, and like it doesn't really, you know, with I think this is you know the the WWE frame of mind is like it doesn't really matter if, if people are on the edge of the sheet edge of their seats for for the entire time you know they they kind of expect people to sort of stand up walk about come in come out you know watch watch bits of it here or there they they just want it everything wall to wall um that's uh yeah yeah I, I'm mm, I I can see sort of both sides of it but uh, yeah I I tend to enjoy you know I I really don't mind watching all of the the Korokoin hall shows where it's just like go 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 you know yeah um so yeah but uh yes uh talking of grandiose entrances um two uh conversing entrances both using the the same sort of thing was uh Koto Ibushi who had the the, the riser Ooh. in the stage so he pops out and does the big Rey Mysterio jump Tetsuya Naito had the riser on the stage just rides it up <laughs> like what's <laughs> out so like a little bit of the tranquiloness but also the um you know a, a bum knee for tetsuya naito which was the the story with aj styles in in that match um i really i picked this one because i really liked the idea of talking about the the last stand for stardust genius era naito mm. um there's i mean there's there's probably people listening to this who never saw real idea yeah. naito now i mean we've been it's been long enough and you know, I've I've always been the t- I I love Naito even way before the Lij thing. Like he was always one of my favorites, and I was very disheartened by the crowd turning on him. And you know, even with that said, even I knew going into this that he was just like dead in the water. And you could hear it like just just hearing his theme song play at the Tokyo Dome, and just hear like no reaction at all from the fans is like really really weird now because yes, obviously yeah. he he uses the same theme song now and like the crowd just goes like completely loses their shit for it obviously but as you know just hearing that song and hearing the crowd make no noise at all is one of the weirdest things after all these years now um but yeah he's like 5 months away from going to CMLL and you know completely changing his career and really the course of new japan in general and you know, I was just thinking about this and realizing, like, I saw two of his final appearances as uh, pre-LIJ Naito because I was there in Philly 
for the the Ring of Honor um, New Japan Global Wars shows, and I think they're Global Wars. I don't know who that who knows? Maybe it was War of the Worlds in in May, and you know where he was up against I think Michael Elgin and Kyle O'Reilly, and after that it was like he was he, I think he went to Toronto Ring of Honor, and then like some TV taping, and then that, right after that he's in CMLL and he's you know joins Los Ingobernables. So that's that's it for Stardust Air. You know, Naito or Stardust Genius Naito, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I, you know, he, you could t- something here. He just feels like, you know, he doesn't have the the strong connection to the fans as a babyface. You know, even the connection he had a couple years ago, maybe. Um, the crowd doesn't even really like. I don't know, like they they're not really turning on him either. It's like, you know. It, mm. In the lead up to 2014, you could sort of see the crowd turning on him, and then after mm. 20 after the Tokyo Dome, the crowd was starting to turn on him, with like especially in Osaka, obviously. And here, it's just they seem indifferent to him, and that's that's the ultimate kiss of death, honestly, when a crowd is indifferent to you. So I guess that's why they knew they had to change something. Yeah, yeah, I, I think like. It's yeah. If if you want to see and and this is still people talk about like Naito and and Osaka, um, yeah, you should go back and this is on New Japan World, but like New New Beginning in in Osaka in in twenty fourteen. Oh, the Ishii um, match. The Ishii match, yeah, where yeah. he loses the Never title. That's, and that's one of my favorite matches ever. Honestly, yeah. I love that match. And you should watch it. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's absolutely a great match, and it's also like fascinating just to to hear the crowd just like completely turn on, on Naito and like they're they're entirely Ishii in in this match. Um, and yeah, so like this is the the kind of year long like Naito in the in the wilderness, like not really knowing where he's where he is where he stands and uh yeah that i mean the last stand really for sardis genius naito is like uh, the the spring after this where it's in the the new japan cup and ibushi beats him in the in the new japan cup and those two are kind of like um you know tied together in a way because they're contemporaries they're the, the same age and, and what have you so like this is the sort of point in his career in ibushi's career where like his his they were on a level and like Ibushi moves up a little bit. Um, and then, you know, Naito will sort of reach and surpass uh, Ibushi sort of time enough. But um, yeah, it, it lets, uh, you know, another sort of interesting figure is, is the guy opposite in AJ Styles, who um, a brief run in, in New Japan, only a couple of years. But it, um, it always feels longer, right? Like it feels like it's, he feels so important, I guess, that it just mm. it almost feels like when you think about it, you're like, wait a second, he was only at two Wrestle Kingdoms, including this one. It's like, yeah, it, it, it just feels like it should be longer. Yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a very sort of a, a significant figure in, in just like the, the change of, of where the, the Bullet Club, you know, the, the change in philosophy of the Bullet Club, I think, you know, yeah. um, with with Devitt at, at the front, it was a very much a kind of NWO style, like interference in, in every match and like with aj there was a bit more of a focus of um you know that there's still that but there's there's also like um you know i I think like with with debit i think we talked about this with with debit uh on the last episode in fact where like in 2014 it was it was debit versus abushi and that was a match that i remember being really excited for at at the time um and yet debit was hellbent as a as a tremendous athlete and tremendous wrestler like he was hell-bent on like subverting that i think you know and and, and come hell or high water he was he was going to get everybody to, to hate him and that sort of led leads to a lot of the 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 hoo-ha and the young bucks getting involved and like kyle anderson getting involved and, and everything like that whereas like the aj styles is is bully club is like things are more sacrosanct and like aj styles gets to definitely still stretch his legs and like um you know that's why you know i think both guys their their successive uh, respective runs at the top of the bully club was were extremely significant to their careers going forward you know i think like had debit had a much more sort of straightforward 
wrestling kind of a little bit heelish but but not uh not too too much and and more sort of straight laced uh, wrestling bullet club leadership he wouldn't be he wouldn't have that that same level of treatment i don't think in in wwe that he did and with aj if he conversely if he had had more of a um you know sort of more accoutrements to his his matches and and more run-ins and everything like that and less wrestling then i'm not sure he would be met in the same regard now because like this was such an important two-year stretch of in ring for him where he was just you know i mean for want of a better word he, he was phenomenal these these two years yeah i mean it really is striking watching aj and nakamura here and then you know watching what they've done in wwe in the past few years especially together this year it's like i don't know and it, it makes you wonder like how much is like them how much is the style it's a interesting question because it's like almost like watching different people but mm. um I, then so this match this is an interesting match and in that like the crowd's not into it at all early and you know like we mentioned they're not into nato early but they they do get into it eventually and i i think a lot of that is nato selling is really good as it almost always is and like i just remember like around the time of the the calf crusher tease like you know when aj has the calf crusher on and it looks like Nitro's gonna have to tap out when mm. the crowd finally gets behind him and gets into him making the ropes and you know that's that's felt like a really strong moment like it is it's always really impressive to me when you can win over a crowd like that that just was not into your match at all so yeah i, I think uh, it was like it was a really cool transition into that calf slicer as well yeah, where it was like stars. I think it was going for something off the top, like a belly to back off the top rope, I think. And like, so Naito sort of flips out of it and lands on his feet. And then he's just like a momentary has hesitation because like he tweaked the knee and like AJ goes straight into the, the car slicer from there. Um, so like that, that was just a, I, I think part of it was, yeah, it, it was a really cool way into to getting into that position. And like that um, woke the crowd up, I think, a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I, right after that, like Naito just like, like AJ takes such a nasty bump on this backdrop where Naito like backdrops him over the top and it looks like he just like crashes on the floor, which is pretty mm -hmm. sick. And then the finish, I still, is still want, I, I like, if I remembered anything from this match, it was the finish. Cause it was such a cool finish where yeah. Naito, Naito is going for this top rope Rana and AJ just like catches him and then slowly hooks the arms and turns it into that stylish clash off the top for the clean pin. Uh, which was really, really, really cool finish. Um, I don't know if, what I was expecting. I was trying to remember if I expected AJ or Nitro to win going in. I couldn't really remember what I expected, but I don't remember being surprised when AJ won, I guess. So I think I would have not been surprised either way. But then, of course, in hindsight, because AJ was getting the title back in a month, you know, he pretty much had to win this. But but yeah, this is this is a better yeah match. yeah. I I think in in hindsight at the time you look at the card and like this is oh it's your number one contention match yeah. But yeah. Uh, for whatever reason I don't I don't remember um, explicitly thinking that at at the time it was just like, okay so you know we're gonna get this this singles match and um, it was it was a cool ch choice of of two people to to work with one another. Um, but yeah, a couple of like better than I remember though I think. I don't know. How, you, I said this was better than I remembered, though. I don't know how you felt about it. Um, I think like again, like it was, yeah, it, it was. I think that this this was one match that, that perhaps was a little bit lost in the the pacing. You know, trying to think of where it was, what I was feeling like live. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was this. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Now, you know, it, it was kind of short, but um but but good for for being that short and it, and it was like a really cool a, a spectacular finish to that match um but uh yeah I, I think like as we were getting up in the cards like i was just thinking about ibushi and nakamura for mm. most of the time so coming up yeah because like that was by far like the match i was most looking forward yeah. to um it went, it went 14 and a half minutes so that's not like super oh, super okay. short, but, like it was still still on the shorter side also i just see here in cage match that Meltzer gave it four and a quarter so i guess time too i don't know why in my head it was uh it was like less than that but i do remember being very um i don't want to say it was overshadowed by goto and shibata winning the tag titles but it was like that was such a cool moment right before this mm. it was like a you know felt like a like such a really cool thing for them to finally 
you know, for like Shibata to finally win a New Japan title again, that, you know, I don't, maybe that's what my mind was still on a little bit too. But, but yeah, I remember liking this at the time, but not as much as I remember as I liked it when I watched it back. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, you just brought up like the, the major tag thing and like, that's, yeah, there, there were so many like kind of cool moments, you know, I think that's why like a lot of people uh, sort of have this show in, in high regard, you know, yeah, like, there was, my there was favorite. so much cool stuff going yeah. on here, you know, and, and even from the early, from the earliest standpoint of this match where like Homer gets like a big win in the Tokyo Dome and that's like a nice sort of feel good moment, you know, in, in his, uh, you know, was it was a six man tag or something uh, with, with the bullet club at the, at the start. And like that, you know, cause that was coming off like that G1 where he lost all the time, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think that there was so much stuff. So then when it got to something like AJ Styles and, and Naito, it, it was like, you know, something that, you know, Perhaps, obviously, you know, I think if it happened now, it would be a, a huge deal. Um, but it kind of got a little bit lost in, in the shuffle. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, Koto Ibushi and Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, I, I will let you sort of handhold this and then I'll, I'll chime in because otherwise I'll, I'll keep on ranting. But, like, this was, I rewatched it a couple of days ago before we recorded this. And, so like, I, you know, I said on Twitter afterwards, like, um it's it's a match that i can rewatch any number of times and i will always like find something new about it that's interesting um and there's there's really nothing else that i can think of of watching that that makes me feel that way in in wrestling um and uh you know i mean at this point yeah i, I interviewed ibushi for i interviewed ibushi for the book um like three times in the end and we only really talked about this match um in the last interview because i think the first couple of times i talked about it i was just like it was all me just gushing about how much i love the match you know, <laughs> um yeah th this is um it honestly this is the the best wrestling match i've ever seen mm, i don't see I, I would put it like top five for me i think maybe top three i'd, I'd really have to go through and do it it's one of my favorite matches ever for sure um yeah, I mean, I've seen this match like a thousand times too because I think I mentioned earlier I do I do these pro wrestling panels at um at anime conventions in the states, basically trying to trying to both introduce Japanese wrestling to people who are already into like Japanese things, and just like you know have this thing for people who are already into it that are at the cons to come and you know hang out and watch. But I showed this match pretty much the entire year of 2015, and. You know, I, I I would do like I basically had to go through and like cut it out into like a ten minute, um, you know, ten minute clips and trying to come up with just like ten minutes for this match, <laughs> like basically mm. half of that was so hard because like this entire match is basically a highlight, so it's really hard to get like a ten minute. Like this is a, I, I've done this for a lot of matches now. This is the hardest one to ever like just cut down to ten minutes. Um, but yeah, so I've saw I've seen it so many times because I did I think I cut it down like three different ways before I was finally like satisfied with it. But um, yeah, it's just like, I don't know what to say about it. It's incredible. I mean, both guys were in here and decided they were just going to like completely steal the show from the main event, which is given that the main event was Okada and Tanahashi. That's not an easy feat, but they totally pulled it off. And, um, you know, it just, it completely, I think changed, it changed a lot of things, but like, you know, Nakamura basically won rest of the year off this match. I mean, in the Observer Awards, um, you know, I mean, if he hadn't, you know, like this, I, I think Bell just talked about this, where basically, you know, even this, this was not supposed to be in the voting criteria for 2014, but after this match took place, you know, Nakamura had a huge increase in his rest of the year ballots for the rest of the you know the remaining period and it basically took him over the top so who knows maybe if he has a win rest of the year does he end up in wwe you know it's like it's fun to go back and think about it's like was that the thing that got him really noticed on people's radars in the west like above and beyond even where he was um you know it's it's just all fun to think about and wonder what happened um a, a weird thing I, I think that's fun to see at the very beginning too is abushi coming out with like a giant new japan logo on the screen that does not happen anymore. 
But because ever since he left to form the Ibushi Wrestling Institute, even after he's come back, you know, they never like the New Japan logo is just not like something they associate with him. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, so like this starts out with like both guys just like squaring up, which is just always such a cool start to a wrestling match and just like going for these crazy strikes. And then like I thought what really established the the tone of the match was early on where Nakamura like he, he shoots him for like a takedown. Abushi blocks it and they end up in the ropes. And Nakamura goes to do that like I, I don't does he have a name for that pose where he puts the head on the stomach? I feel like he does, but I can't remember what it is. Right, yeah. He, so he goes for like the the clean the clean break thing. Yeah, yeah the, the, I feel like there's a name for him, but I don't remember yeah. what it is. But he he goes for that, and Ibushi just like, you know, like palms like palms him out of the way. Like you are not doing that crap to me in this <laughs> match. And it just feels like it. And then Nakamura immediately like just like goes crazy on him with the knees. It just felt like that set the whole tone for it. Um, mm. And then one of my all-time favorite spots where Nakamura offers him a handshake, and Ibushi takes like an idiot, and Nakamura immediately knees him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. If there's anything that like summed up what he was missing and why it didn't work for him, in my opinion, WWE's a baby face. It's like you needed that. He was the guy, the wacky guy who made faces, but he also had this edge to him, and it never mm. felt like he took that edge with him um into wwe yeah i think like that's an important part of of this match you know and that there was a lot so in the build it was a lot of like okay it, it, here's kojo bushi he's like under dual contract so he works for new japan and he works for ddt and um you know when i've talked to kojo about it his his thing was like well you know i love like fun wrestling and i love athletic wrestling you know so like ddt was like the fun wrestling part and new japan was the athletic wrestling part but like shinsuke you know in the build to this like he didn't really respect like ibushi for for doing both and so there's almost like this um this element there's a slight sort of sense of like the ideology the ideologies of, of pro wrestling like creeping in kind of like with with tanahashi and omega like this year um and so you know it's it was interesting you know because like the the thing when i rewatched this and it, it sort of occurred to me um you know on my last rewatch of it because i was watching it in the frame of mind of you know i don't know if you you saw like tanahashi at, at the um the press conference with with kenny omega um for this year's Wrestle Kingdom where he said like Kenny Omega's wrestling like there's no grace to it it's graceless mm. um and I thought like that was an interesting it's an interesting line to watch the this match in that in that context because um with Shinsuke and with Kota like they're both showmen um but you wouldn't you wouldn't ever call Shinsuke Nakamura graceful like there's there's <laughs> nothing there's no grace to the way he moves like it's very um you know, if if you were putting it in like a, a video game journalist term, it, it's like janky, you know, and, and it's like staccato. Um, whereas like Ibushi is graceful, so I think like there's sort of two real distinct parts to this match. Like before the switch gets flipped and it gets very violent, is when like Ibushi is kind of trying to prove himself to Nakamura with like that graceful athleticism. And there's like that part where he does like he does the golden triangle, which just looks gorgeous in this match. Um, and yeah, you know, and and that doesn't do it. So it, it's when like Ibushi kind of realizes oh, I have to get ugly, you know. And what sort of makes me leap out of the chair like again and again was like the first time when Ibushi does the bombay to Shinsuke, and he just fucking nails it, you know, yeah. like way more like crisply like more gorgeous than, than Shinsuke ever does it and like Shinsuke kicks out a one you know and then it's like oh after that it's it's kind of shits on but like Shinsuke's always like pushing Ibushi's buttons in this match you know from like that handshake with the knees and then he sort of starts stamping out Ibushi's head first you know and yeah, then it's yeah. it's after that it's like oh then you know it, it really gets going when when Ibushi just sort of um flips the switch and I don't know, like, um, I never, I don't really hold much truck with, like, the, the Bret Hart philosophy of, um, 
you know, oh, we want the the fans to think, you know, fans think fans know that pro wrestling isn't real, but I want the fans to think, oh, that that Bret Hart, his he he fights for real. Like I don't, I don't really understand that that logic. But what did add this to this, you know, add to this match for for us being there live was that when Ibushi was like had Nakamura over the ropes and was just like just lamping, you know kicking at the back of his head like yeah. we were looking at each other going something's <laughs> off here like you know really really like, yeah yeah no I had, <laughs> I had sort of images of like Hashimoto and Ogawa in my head like uh, at yeah. this point you know so it, it was it was just it was very different yeah um when I just you talked about Ibushi and the bomber yeah I, at the, again the Japanese announcers call here where um when Ibushi started doing the the Nakamura imitation poses. The ja- I just remember the Japanese announcer screaming like "Chotobate, Chotobate!" Like he's really <laughs> like, "Wait a second, wait a second, what are you doing?" Yeah. Which is such a great like, such a great call. Um, I don't know because he's just like, he's basically just saying, you know, there's something really wrong here with what Ibushi's doing, which I thought was cool. Yeah, and and that's just in in the end that's that's what gets to the finish right where like they both charge each other and like ibushi's intent on out nakamura nakamura and like they i love the finish of this where they they're both going for for bombiers and like yeah. they clash knees in the end and like of course of course nakamura's knee is stronger than ibushi yeah you know? um that's a great such a, a great finish but um abushi's yeah. grinning here to me totally makes a match in general like this is one of those matches mm. where like someone's facial expressions like really elevate it where every time nakamura does something really brutal to abushi whether it's like the stomps or the you know the the elbows or anything else like he just has this grin on his face and it's just it's i don't know it's almost indescribable what that adds to the match it's just almost like this feeling of like um you know like something is really like this is really different like this really Mm -hmm. is a different feel to this match and like I don't know. It doesn't like you were saying. It almost makes it feel more legitimate in that he just, you know, this he. It feels like he's quote unquote not selling <laughs> like he's supposed <laughs> to be, and it almost feels like he's just like so pissed off and so fired up that he's refusing to sell. I just I don't know that that could come off really bad and really hokey sometimes, but here it came off like fucking great. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It came I, off great. I think I'd I like as well. Like they they sort of. There, there's always moments where, like Kota Ibushi in a, in, a, in a big match. There's the moment where the switch flips, right, and that's where he starts doing like the 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 palm strikes, and you know it's like oh now Ibushi's pissed. And I I love the fact that Nakamura is like goading him into doing that for so long because he knows that Ibushi is going to do that huge wind up lariat that he does when when he gets really pissed off, and like yeah. so that the, the whole match leads up into him by into Ibushi going for that so he can catch him into the cross arm breaker which is like a great great counter um but uh yeah I'd, like i can't say speak highly enough of this match because yeah, um it's incredible yeah. it's one yeah. of the best ever for sure um and there's a fist bump at the end um which really leaves you, leaves you thinking about what we lost with both of these guys you know leaving because it felt like it we should have had a rematch with Ibushi finally winning yeah yeah but um at, at this point yeah of course like ibushi is yeah i mean ibushi had a, a great start to, to 2015 and like you know he'd go all the way up to that uh main event with with aj and they start sort of they start teasing something with with kenny at that point in the in the spring um but then yeah he, he did his shoulder in and like that was part of like this um you know the the lingering effects of working for two promotions at once which wasn't perhaps like the the brightest of ideas for him like physically or mentally yeah. um but uh you know uh such is life but uh then yeah it was um you know when i did the the 2005 episode with with matt i i sort of you know foreshadowed this this sort of conversation back then because we were looking at the um the noah 2005 show and how difficult you know it was like you had um kobashi and sasaki and and that like sort of infamous match and that was the semi-final so even misawa and kawada had like a tough time uh following up on on a match like that so yeah here in in this show is like how possibly can you follow 
um ibushi and nakamura but uh yeah okada and tanahashi had to, had to do it and um a very different style of match but i think for for the match that they wrestled they you couldn't have done it any better yeah i mean they you know look they had to go out there to me you know it reminded me a lot of to for newer fans it reminded me of the the g1 and osaka show this year where abushi and naito had to go out there and follow that omega Ishii match, which mm. was really d- difficult because I mean they were following a you know what in my opinion was a five star match, and they you know that where they they worked a certain style that was super fast and you know super physical, and they just you know they they if they had tried to do something similar it probably would not have worked, so they they decided to go out there and have you know a much slower paced match than the, the the one they had had the year before, and you know really tell a story and I think it ended up being better. Then Omega Ishii in the end, which I, I think is a minority opinion, but at the very least, I don't think anyone would say Naito Ibushi was bad. Whereas here, um, you know, they the same sort of thing where if they had tried to have a very similar match to what um, you know they had, had just happened with Naito, or, I mean with uh, Ibushi and Nakamura, I don't think it would have worked. I think the crowd wouldn't have been into it, and instead they decided to go out there and have a you know, a much um, slower paced match and really like, you know, just totally tell like, the, you tell this long, long story and tell this like, you know, this much more old school story. And it really worked. I thought, I thought they, you know, the crowd was with it and they, 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 that easily could not have been the case, you know, coming off the match. We just, we had just gone through. So I thought they, what they pulled off here was really impressive yeah it was everybody was sort of invested in it from the beginning and and like i was up in the cheap seats and like this was um yeah i've said this a lot in other places but like this was one of my favorite um moments of fan interaction in in wrestling was like we you know for for whatever reason you know we were, we were sort of up for it either but like yeah i was with some sort of more casual friends and like um you know, my friend next to me was like, ah, okay, I'm going to cheer for Okada in this match. So, you know, and he was sort of very loud, a little bit obnoxious, perhaps. And so, but, you know, whatever, we were going with him. So, like, we were cheering for Okada. And, like, the there were, the row behind us were, like, these guys that were all big Tanahashi fans. And <laughs> we were just... It was, you know, we were just fighting back and forth throughout this this whole match. So like, uh, you know, the the bell rings. Like, we're trying for Okada. Like, this guy in the middle of the row, like, leans down towards me, and and he goes, "You're not winning, you know." <laughs> <laughs> that rolls. Yeah, see, it I, was great. You know, <laughs> I had a similar experience with um uh the Naito Omega G1 final. Yeah. When I was in a, I was uh in the the second deck of Sumo Hall, and like the row, the row I was in for whatever reason was like, um, very pro Kenny, like they, the you know, because I think overall the crowd was more pro Naito, but mm. my row was like very pro Kenny. I had a lot of uh, Japanese people in bull club shirts that were very very pro Kenny, and obviously anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Naito fan. So we were just kind of like screaming back and forth the entire match. So that's what that story reminds me of but i don't have any i don't have any like that that kicker there with the guy leaning over i didn't have anything like that well no because just... the, the the kicker was as well like when yeah because when tanahashi did did win at the end we sort of just shrugged our shoulders and like we turned around shook hands with everybody gave each other a big hug and like it was just such a nice it was such a great moment of like um you know we were all connected by wrestling you know yeah. um yeah it was it was really really nice um yeah uh one thing that that sort of hits again Tana, big match tanahashi is always like big dick tanahashi you know <laughs> tanahashi is a, a prick at different points in this match and like i i love that because i think like um you're right I mean, a lot of people felt that this is okada's time this is this is his time to do it so like there were a lot of people really cheering okada and like tanahashi is so good at, at reading those situations and then thinking yeah, I, I can afford to be a prick here, you know, and and he loves it. Like, you know, you know he loves it. And he's yeah. said so many times, uh, you know, over the last few years, he, he doesn't think it's ever going to happen, but, like, he really wants to have, like, a full-blown, like, real dick heel, like, um, 
the stretch at, at some point before he finishes. But uh, yeah, I I love some of the the aspects of this, you know, especially when like Tanahashi does like the rainmaker pose and he gets the full zoom from the production team as well. Like, great. Yeah, I totally one one spot I totally forgot about was like that heavy rain on the on the ramp. Oh, yeah, where Jeez. Tana comes like Tana comes like running in and Okada just like tosses him up on his shoulders and then like throws him. And like mm. you can see how hard Tanahashi hit the ramp. I mean, I was watching this last night with um with my girlfriend who's not a big wrestling fan or anything, but when she saw that spot, she just like it's one of those times where she like jumped backwards basically. <laughs> Cause it just looks Yeah, so yeah. Cool. But um yeah, because that, I mean, that was, it was, it sort of started with a lot of these kind of callbacks, really, didn't it? Because, like, the the big thing in the build was, like, at the, the I think the World Tag League final show, like, Okada, like, tombstoned Tanahashi on, like, the entrance ramp. So, like, they, they were going, like, Okada was going for that again. And then yeah. you, you sort of have Tanahashi break free. And then, like, every time there's, like, the long run up on, on the ramp, like the the head goes to like Keiji Muto, like you know, it goes to like Muto and Chono on on the ramp in '93 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that there was like the flash. Oh, it's like you know Tanahashi, like Muto's protege or whatever. And then yeah, just like God, it's like fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. also what we, we I want to mention too before I forget the maybe the other reason why people thought Okada was going to win just because Tanahashi had gone like. A, had not won in the last three matches between the two. Um, mm. I mean, he won at the Dome in 2013, but then he lost um, an invasion attack in April. He had the draw at the G1 uh, in 2013, and then he lost again at King of Pro Wrestling. So I don't know, maybe it felt almost like he just can't beat him again, <laughs> which is, I think, kind of the feeling that went into this year almost when, you know, Okada had again, you know, Tanashi again had gone this time forced or, yeah, four straight times without beating him. So, you know, the, the 2016 Wrestle Kingdom, 2016 G1, uh, then Taku, and then uh, the G1 again. So it was, it's interesting the way they build this up where Okada goes on these runs and then Tanahashi yeah. finally, finally beats him as he did again in September. Yeah, that's – and it's the uh, – you know, it, it's – I think, like, everything with the Tanahashi and Okada – story and like it's it's something that i wrote about in the book and like when we did when i was talking with uh, matt about like doing the illustrations in the book like one of the things i really wanted was for those four for the four years of that rivalry basically in the tokyo dome between tanahashi and okada like it's it perfectly matches like the four act structure of a japanese narrative where you have mm-hmm. like Kishore Tenketsu, like the, the establishment of, of when Okada like comes out and he makes that first challenge. And then, you know, you, you get that that moment of routine and like that that further sort of um, build in there, um, which is where Tanahashi beats him in, in 2013. And like, so here's here's the, the 10 where like everything flip, you, you have your expectations set in a certain direction. And then, like, there's a, a sharp, sharp left turn, basically, and and we take you somewhere else, you know. And and like, when you look at it, like how that Tanner Okada rivalry perfectly went four years. You know, I don't know whether they they were just kind of cute with it, but like, it 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 really matches up uh, really well. And like, here's that that moment in there. Um, and but it wouldn't. I don't think it would be anywhere. Well, maybe I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think it'll be anywhere near the same thing. But like, what made it was Okada's like leaving, and the mm. shot of of him in tears, like that. That made that moment. I think, you know, yeah. and um, so, before that, so though, well kept as well. You know, like the, that... the the camera angle that you have of like Okada in tears, like you you get perfectly Tanahashi celebrating in the ring in the background <laughs> as well. It's just oh, it's yeah. tremendous. Yeah. I think this had my favorite, one of my favorite Okada drop kicks ever. At the mm. end of that that suplex sequence, I don't know. It's just like the timing of it is just so great, and he gets like so much mm. height on it, and just like, yeah, it's one of my favorite of his. Yeah, it's probably and up it's, there with the ones from the Kenny, the the, the first Kenny match, or the first uh, Dominion Kenny match. 
And it, and it's like, it's amazing because it kind of, it really comes out of nowhere. That's why you get like the big reaction from the crowd on that because it comes so late in the match. And yeah. like, you know, we often sort of see that drop kick and then it's the Raymaker pro. And so like, we're, we're getting towards the end of the match. But like here it's, it's right at the end, like they've already done, like Okada already kicked out the high fly flow and like Tanahashi kicked out the, the Raymaker already at this point. And then it's like, oh shit! Like now, you know, it it felt like we'd been on this roller coaster for a certain period of time, and then it's like, oh now we're getting towards the end. Holy <laughs> shit! You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the the end too, where Tanahashi just like he just catches him with the the dragon weapon, the ropes, and that sets up the yes. high fire flow. It's a yes. great ending. Yeah, yeah, and that again, that is like dick tanahashi that does that ending like i love it he's he's down on the mat and he does another dragon screw on the mat you know because it's like i'm gonna make sure you don't stand you're not gonna stand up you're not gonna move you're not gonna get your knees up because you can't move them anymore you know like um yeah i love that and like that aspect of um like that kind of bloodthirstiness or the killer instinct that that you need to win in the tokyo dome and I think like that's one of those things. And like Tanahashi said, and you know, in the same press conference with Kenny Omega, like, and he said it on the the podcast. So I was like, you know, pro wrestling should be violent, but you know, because that's what pro wrestling is. But pro wrestling shouldn't be cruel, you know. And like, I I like I kind of like that characterization of like Tanahashi thinking like the cleaner Kenny Omega is like a cruel man, you know. Um, but like there's that element of cruelty to him in this match you know I, I think like there is this thing of like you need cruelty you need to be a little bit cruel um to to win in the tokyo Dome. and like the the finish of that match is yeah it's just cruel like i'm gonna cripple you so you can't move out of the way you know yeah <laughs> i i just make you wonder like what the um you know what is what is that the crowd reaction gonna be like in tanahashi omega and what will Tanahashi's um, yeah? What his approach will be? It'll be very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. And and he said that he like he doesn't mind, you know. And and he's he's always said that, you know. And it's something just alluded to, but like he doesn't mind putting the black hat on, you know. He he sort of said that, oh well, you know, if Kenny doesn't want to be the bad guy, I don't mind being the bad guy, you know. And like, um, yeah, but it's gonna be really hard yeah i really don't know what what way the the crowd is is gonna go you know because i think like a lot i think especially a lot of western fans kind of underestimate how popular kenny omega is in japan yeah i mean yeah. i've seen it i've seen it firsthand he is very mm. i've i've always said that even when i'm not super into what he's doing right now that he's mm. he's not unpopular in japan he's very popular in japan i mean the g1 the g1 i went to last year it was like if i was going to rank the top four it probably would have been like naito omega tanahashi okada and that you know with the disclaimer that i think you know people just were not that okada is definitely the fourth less popular the four it's just that you know he was also the unbeatable iwgp champion at the time so it wasn't really fashionable Mm. to cheer for him to win the g1 Mm. but but that was like very clearly i think the ranking of the four to me and and kenny was very popular you know so even if you're not you know super into what he's doing i think you have to admit to yourself that you know he is still very popular over there um yeah yeah and uh it it's yeah it's, it's gonna be something very much unlike you know certainly the the, the sort of main events we've we've seen over the last four years it's it's yeah i i can't um I mean, the, the, yeah, one thing, really though, the one thing that was Japanese crowds really like in a lot of ways, I think they default behind getting behind the challenger. So mm. that might help. I mean, if you look, we're, I was just talking about Okada, like Okada's popularity to me with the live crowds has gone way up since he lost the title. And it's almost like it's more fun to cheer for him again or something, you know? So maybe it's, I think a lot of it is just like Japanese crowds do have a, I think they have a position to default toward the underdog slash the challenger. So I think that that can happen a lot. So I guess we'll see. 
but that's why maybe I would lean more towards them being a little more behind Tanahashi, but it'll be interesting. We will see. We will see for sure. Okay. Yeah. So thanks again, John, for, for hopping on this, this look at 2015. Um, this, I believe if I check my posting schedule up here, aha, this is going to be on post wrestling towards the end of this year this year being 2018 when is this episode going up it's gonna go up on oh december 22nd it's nearly christmas oh very cool so let me that's a great great time for me to plug um omakase we do a on wrestling omakase which is my podcast on the voice of wrestling podcasting network um we started this last year and we're doing it again this year um our year in review series is what we'll be in the middle of when this goes up so basically for about like seven weeks, I think we do a different promotion or type of wrestling each week with a guest who has followed that company or that type of wrestling all year long. So we have like a new Japan one. I'm going to have on um, both the super J cast hosts, uh, Damon and Joel, as long as well as uh, Evan deadly sins on Twitter. So he'll be on that too. So it's a pretty cool sack little lineup there. Um, we're going to have one on WWE uh, we're going to have one on Joshi Puresu, so like all the different women's companies. Um, we'll have an All Japan one, a DDT episode, all sorts of stuff. So basically the idea will be if you're doing like awards voting and you want and you want to know more about a company that you haven't followed all year and like, you know, what wrestlers and what matches you should go back and look at if, you know, you want to be up on that that company before you do your awards voting – that I think will be a great resource for you to go back and listen. Or if you're just a fan of the company and you want to like relive their year, you know, that'll be fun for you too. But yeah, so that's our year interview series. We'll be right in the middle of that when this comes out on post wrestling, since as we're recording this, we're about like a week away from starting. So that's cool. really fun. It's one of my favorite parts of the year. So definitely check that out. Um, just, you know, we're wrestling Omakase. Uh, that's O M A K A S E on itunes we're on the voice of wrestling network uh we're at wrestle omakase on twitter and definitely check us out cool and um we'll be keeping up the the voice of wrestling theme on the next episode as joe lanza is going to be hopping on um from vow to talk about 2016 on the next episode in the meantime you can get eggshells pro wrestling at the tokyo dome uh where books are sold um if you don't like amazon reach out to me at reason jp and uh see if we can uh talk directly about getting your copy there mm -hmm. um and yeah we'll we'll speak to you next time bye bye, -bye.